Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable. Hey, it's July. It's supposed to be quiet time in Washington, but this week was anything But, in fact, it was one of the busiest weeks of the year with action on many fronts. Well, here's something new. The Senate actually passed a big bill on science and technology. And so did the House with 24 Republican votes. And it looks like the Senate could pass that other great big bill on health care and climate change as early as next week. Good news for Joe Biden. But bad news for Donald Trump this week. He came back to Washington only to be upstaged by Mike Pence and greeted with news that Merrick Garland's January 6th investigation at the Justice Department is now focused on the Trump White House with cooperation from top Trump officials. Meanwhile, Republicans claim we're in a recession. Joe Biden insists we're not. Come hell or high water, Nancy Pelosi takes off for a trip to Asia today, maybe stopping in Taiwan. And Andrew Yang, hey, remember him, teams up with Christine Todd Whitman to form a third political party. Here today to help us make some sense of it all, Scott Wong, senior congressional correspondent for NBC News. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you, Bill. Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor for Politico. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. And from Media Matters for America, senior fellow, good friend, Matt Gertz. Hello, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So uh, the big story that uh, I got to ask each of you that this is what everybody in Washington is talking about today, Friday, July 29. Have you bought your ticket for the $1.1 billion Mega Million lottery tonight? Sadeep. Have not, but definitely will. <laughs> How about you, Scott? Are you in? Uh, I think I'm going to be right behind Sadiq in line today. <laughs> uh, how about Matt? Yeah, I got to get one too. Still you time. know what? Yeah, so do I, but I know where to get it. I'm going to get it right after. But all you need is a, a dollar and a dream. Five guys, you know, just, <laughs> or two dollars, I should say, uh, and a dream. But maybe. <laughs> The bigger story, it has been a busy week, and all of you guys are on the front lines reporting on these stories. Uh, I I just want to ask you, from your work, what was uh, the biggest story you worked on this week? Uh, Scott, start us off. I'll start off uh, with Pelosi in Taiwan. I, I was talking to lawmakers all week trying to get information about this potential trip to Taiwan. Uh, a Speaker of the House hasn't been there since Newt Gingrich in 1997. And the Chinese are warning that this would be a major, major uh, change in policy and an escalation. And so uh, I was able to confirm that uh, Pelosi had invited 
In fact, a number of lawmakers on this trip uh, to Asia. Now, yesterday we got confirmation that they are leaving today, today being mm-hmm. the last day of, of votes uh, before the August recess. So she's taking a CODEL to Asia. It's going to include a number of Asian allies. The one that is, quote, tentative on their itinerary is Taiwan. And obviously, this has created been, been a major story in Washington because the president of the United States said the other day that military officials are telling him that uh, they're concerned by any potential trip by Pelosi to Taiwan. It would be historic. Um, but, you know, she has been all about uh, Chinese human rights abuses during her decades in office. She has been a staunch ally of Taiwan. And so, uh, you know, yesterday, President Biden spoke with President Xi of China. And afterwards, the Chinese put out a statement, those who play with fire will perish by it. Uh, (laughs) They're known for using uh, colorful rhetoric, but um, there are a number of people in Washington today who are extremely nervous by the prospects of the, the person second in line to the presidency uh, setting foot in Taiwan, Bill. Well, Scott, let me ask you, Nancy Pelosi's, I mean, s- certainly very, very smart. She knows that this could trigger an international crisis and embarrass the Democratic president of the United States. Why would she do it? Because she believes in Taiwan, because she has been an ally throughout her career and Let's just remember where she is in her career. You know, this could be possibly, likely her last year in office. And so I, I don't want to use the term go out with a bang, but, you know. <laughs> uh, let's, hope, let's hope not, right? <laughs> but she's thinking about her legacy, Bill, and everything that she does with this reconciliation bill, with, you know, chips, with health care, ACA subsidies. I mean, everything she is doing right now is driven towards her legacy. And certainly Taiwan is a piece of that puzzle. Yeah. Uh, Matt Gertz, from your perch at Media Matters, uh, what were you guys particularly focused on? Are you particularly focused on this week? Uh, We were looking at a lot of different places, but the the piece that I want to talk about is I took a look at the Arizona uh, Senate Republican primary, um, which is shaping up as a rare... uh, head-to-head fight between candidates backed by the two most powerful hosts at the network, Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson. (laughs) Uh, Hannity has endorsed uh, Mark Burnovich, the uh, attorney general of the state. Uh, Tucker Carlson uh, got behind Blake Masters, who's the protege of the sort of fascist uh, tech billionaire Peter Thiel. Um, And, you know, this is not something we've seen this cycle when Carlson Mm -hmm. uh, supported J.D. Vance in Ohio. Uh, Hannity basically ignored that race altogether. Likewise, uh, Hannity uh, got behind uh, Herschel Walker in Georgia and Dr. Oz in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Carlson ignored those races as well. So, I mean, this is really, I think, going to show... Uh, which of those hosts is the most powerful force at the network? Um, it's it's a, a rare opportunity to see that. So I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to, to seeing what happens there. Uh, and which candidate has Donald Trump endorsed? Donald Trump has endorsed Masters. So typically in, these, in all uh, of the races that I've mentioned, 
the candidate that got the Fox endorsement also got the Trump endorsement, often with the host uh, making a pitch uh, to Trump directly um, to to secure that. Uh, in this case, uh, Brnovich has avoided uh, some of the uh, worst uh, aspects of the uh, election denial stuff from Trump, uh, and Masters has very much uh, supported all of that, and so that seems to have tipped the balance uh, for the former president. Yeah, and of course, Sudeep Politico reports on any and all that we've talked about or not yet talked about. But uh, what 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 consumed your time uh, and you know, your attention mostly it, this week? It is remarkable. There were a dozen huge stories that we will yeah. be talking about for a while. But if you put uh, if you put just three policy issues together, you can actually understand how consequential this week was for the Biden presidency and really just for for all of the issues we've been talking about uh, for years. But with in a single day, you had a, a major semiconductor bill pass after a a couple of years of, of worrying about supply chains and whether we're going to be able to build enough cars in America, whether we can have mm-hmm. have chips in our vacuum cleaners, all of these things. Uh, and there, that was a, a big bipartisan policy achievement uh, that uh, a lot of people are rightly going to take credit for. And it actually plays into the, the China-Taiwan issue as well. Literally the same day, the, the Manchin-Schumer deal on, on climate and healthcare and taxes, if it goes forward, that is deeply consequential. Uh, for for uh, climate change and for uh, just Democrats being able to say they accomplished something. And of course, in the middle of all of this d- debate about whether we're uh, already in a recession or not, um, the, the Federal Reserve taking fairly aggressive action uh, to raise interest rates uh, is one reason why we, we are uh, probably going to see inflation coming down uh, in the in the coming months, not going to come down fast enough, but still coming down as gas prices are coming down. So all of these things that have been hanging over us uh, and the political scene are actually uh, getting some resolution in a kind of funny way at a funny moment. Uh, not to mention, uh, Sudeep, that Joe Biden also uh, walked out of COVID. Exactly, right? exactly, and, uh, <laughs> and showed showed exactly what it looks like to to survive COVID rather than being, uh, as he said, airlifted out of the White House. Yeah, uh, put on his Ray-Bans and walked into the Rose Garden <laughs> and couldn't help but uh, notice how different that was from Donald Trump's exit uh, from the White House as well. So, uh, Scott, uh, Sudeep just mentioned the Manchin-Schumer deal. Now, you know, two weeks ago, most Democrats, including me, right, were just pounding Joe Manchin, just denouncing him from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And now suddenly it looks like Joe Manchin's the savior. What the hell happened in two weeks to turn Joe Manchin from an absolute no to, uh, okay, let's make a deal? I mean, everyone had left, you know, that old build back better bill for dead, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone was just frustrated with Manchin, so angry with him. People had just walked away didn't want to think about it. Schumer and Manchin had said they were going to do this much smaller deal, uh, you know, involving health care, prescription drug, lowering prescription drug prices, uh, extending ACA subsidies. But uh, those two continued to talk. They had a big blow up a few weeks ago, uh, you know, and, and so everyone thought it was over and that they were just going to head into the November election with a, a much smaller victory. Um, but they kept talking and 
you know, look, Man- Joe Manchin knows how to do a deal. He's been at the center of many deals in the past. Uh, and what happened is they sort of cut out all the other noise. Uh, you know, Kirsten Cinema was not included in these talks. Uh, she's obviously uh, a key player in all of this. Nancy Pelosi, as far as we understand, was surprised by the announcement. Uh, we think that they were Schumer was keeping um, probably the president of the United States informed about what was going on. But this really was a deal that was cut between two people in Washington. And uh, there was sort of a collective gasp when the deal was suddenly announced earlier this week. Yeah. Uh, Matt, um, the Republican response to this was rather curious, right? They seemed, uh, they see, Mitch McConnell seemed to have been pissed to be caught off guard. Yeah, uh, and they're reacting by uh, trying to torpedo a bunch of stuff that they previously supported. Republicans are so pissed that Democrats are trying to fight inflation by reducing the deficit, raising taxes on big corporations, lowering drug prices, investing in clean energy. They're so mad about that. They're voting against uh, veterans' health care benefits. They're uh, voting against uh, boosting economic security against China. Uh, now uh, talking about torpedoing the bill to codify marriage equality. So they're, you know, they're really, uh, I don't know, they're they're putting the gun to their own head, I think, on this stuff. They're uh, now coming out against bills that were previously bipartisan and widely supported. Um, I don't think it's going to age very well for them, uh, assuming this deal goes through. Right. Uh, Yeah, so we certainly heard... Sudeep, outside the uh, outside of Congress, just outside the Capitol, uh, yesterday, after the um, burn pit bill failed to get enough votes to to come to the floor, uh, the response of John Stewart, who has become sort of the unofficial spokesperson for American veterans, uh, again pointing out as as uh, Matt just mentioned, and, and Scott, I think this is a bill that Republicans had overwhelmingly supported to protect veterans' health in the past. Here is a very angry John Stewart. Cowards, all of them. And now they say, well, this will get done maybe in the uh, after we get back from our summer recess because they're on Senate time. These motherfuckers live to 200. They're tortoises. They live forever and they never lose their jobs and they never lose their benefits. Well, they're not on Senate time. They're on human time, cancer time. This is an embarrassment. And if this is America first, then America is fucked. Uh, but we don't, I'm glad we don't have to bleep out everything on the Bill Press pod. <laughs> so, uh, Sadiq, a, a Republican's kind of, uh, I mean, going off the deep end here, really to- totally blowing it. It's just re- remarkable. Of, yeah, it's a remarkable yeah. for a bill that's probably going to pass anyway uh, yeah. within, within a couple of weeks. It's just uh, creating a procedural roadblock for something that already has enough support to clear. Just it, it's kind of it's just mind blowing why you would do this. There's no constituency that's going to be revved up from Republicans by saying you're blocking this bill that's going to pass anyway. It's not like you're you're actually notching a win that's going to uh, get you any votes. It's just it's it's uh, it's poorly played theatrics. Uh, that are obviously backfiring uh, in this way. And and we will see that um, once this thing actually passes. Um, and there are probably people on the right who are realizing that right now. Uh, I believe it was in Politico this morning, in fact, that I read that John Thune, what's he, number three or so in the leadership, right? 
said this bill is going to pass with Republican support. Exactly. And, uh, and he is right. Uh, his, his forecast is correct. And um, th- that is why it's just it's, you, you, it's just a, a real a fumble um, to think that this is actually worth worth fighting against right now and making a point about when there's so many other things they could jump on in this moment if they want to make a make a scene. Well, a similar scene played out, Scott, uh, in terms of maybe Republicans missing the moment on the the bill that you talked about, the so-called chips bill, right? The semiconductor mm-hmm. bill, uh, where it looked like it was going to have support in the House. And then the deal was made with Manchin and Schumer and the Republican House leadership then, at, I believe I read at the request of Mitch McConnell, decided, no, they're going to whip against this science and technology bill here that gave Tim Ryan a moment on the House floor, which you probably heard in person, uh, to say, "What the hell are you guys up to?" Here's uh, Tim Ryan, Senate candidate now for Ohio. This is the first step towards an industrial policy in the United States of America: rebuilding the manufacturing base, good-paying jobs, union construction, outcompeting China, national security. Come on! But we have a small group of people who have hijacked the Republican Party and the leadership in this House on the Republican side is more concerned with defeating Democrats than doing something that's best for the United States of America. So, Scott, what are Scalise and McCarthy up to? (laughs) Well, I think we should take a, a step back for one second, Bill, and talk a little bit about the timing of when uh, Joe Manchin announced his deal with Chuck Schumer. It came uh, right immediately after yep. uh, the Senate Republicans and Democrats joined hands and passed this com- massive computer chips bill. Right, they hailed it as a bipartisan victory, uh, and you know Todd Young stood up there and said, "This this shows that we can work together to get stuff done." And then moments later. <laughs> Joe right. Manchin rolls out his seven hundred billion dollar plan, his deal with Schumer, and says we're gonna we're gonna pass all of these things and reconciliation that Republicans hate, and you know their heads exploded. Uh, you know it, it was it was a a brilliant political move for the Democrats, not so good for Republicans. You know John Kennedy, I, I read in Sudeep's publication, John Kennedy. <laughs> Republican from Louisiana says we got our ass kicked. It's just that simple. It looks to me like we got rinky dude. And that's <laughs> right. a Louisiana word for we got screwed. Um, and so that's why you saw Republicans really sort of throwing a temper tantrum about the um, yeah. the John Stewart bill about uh, you know trying to take down the computer chips bill across the Capitol in the House and having Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy whip against it. They really were extremely frustrated and felt sort of betrayed by Manchin after he said he wasn't going to do a big deal. Let's underscore here, though, like what we're talking about is there was a bill that Republicans said that they supported and that they were planning to withhold their support if another bill was put forward. And so Democrats <laughs> waited until they vote. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, that that's sort of the, the spite involved here. I don't know what the betrayal is supposed to be exactly. I don't, I don't think anyone said to Mitch McConnell, we promise we're not going to do this. No. But the Democrats weren't morons. Like they, they, <laughs> they were canny and played their cards well. Uh, and Republicans uh, 
I guess, missed that that was a possibility. And so now they're just pissed and they're taking it out on the on veterans and yeah. American manufacturing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, Sudeep, the Republicans just got outplayed, right, by the Democrats. So they did. And, and, and all the speculation about whether this was a, a, a long con uh, is kind of amusing because it, if, if it were, if it were designed to trick Republicans, uh, then it was it was well executed. I'm actually not so sure about that because Dem- Democrats haven't proven an ability to do that in a while. Uh, but it, it it does show at least some understanding of the need to do proper sequencing on right. on legislation, and that that's kind of right. basic work that they're finally coming back to. Yeah, Democrats who are non- who are usually known for not even be- being able to organize a three car funeral, as they say, <laughs> right? And in this case, hard to believe that they did it this so well, but it looks like uh, that they did. Well, Donald Trump came back to town this week with some uh, who are mixed news at best. We'll look into that uh, with our panel: uh, Sadiq Brady from Politico, Matt Gertz from Media Matters, and Scott Wong from NBC News. After a quick break here on today's roundtable, and then we'll be right back and jump into uh, the latest with former President Donald Trump. And today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the Teamsters Union. They've got a new president in Sean O'Brien, but they are still America's largest labor union and the most diverse of all of America's labor unions with 1.5 million members across the United States and Canada and uh, represent just about every aspect of the American workforce, from vegetable workers in California, construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, and bakery workers up in the great state of Maine. As they say, they represent everybody from A to Z, members of the Teamsters, from airline pilots to zookeepers. So we salute the Teamsters, welcome their new president, Sean O'Brien, and thank the Teamsters for their great work building America and for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Well, we're back with today's roundtable, taking a look back at this very, very busy news week in our nation's capital. Joining us today is Scott Wong, senior congressional correspondent from NBC News, Sudeep Reddy, managed senior managing editor for Politico, and Matt Gertz, senior fellow for Media, uh, Media Matters for America. So, Matt, we had dueling speeches this week, Donald Trump making his first uh, return visit to the nation's capital, Mike Pence there on the same day. Um, who won that standoff? <laughs> How did it work for Donald Trump? I mean, I, I, I'm always a little bit hesitant to try to figure out who's winning or losing here. Mike Pence, um, uh, how do I put this? Uh, <laughs> he, my, my theory of Mike Pence is that God tested him on January 6th and he passed the test. And now, uh, you know, instead of being able to become president, he will come in seventh in Iowa and everything <laughs> else is just kind of watching it all happen. And Donald Trump is still, you know, the favorite for the Republican nomination uh, in 2024 if he wants it. And so, you know, we're, we're sort of all tiptoeing around, I think, that reality right now. Well, the other reality, Scott, isn't it, that Donald Trump uh, heard with us that um, there, in fact, is, we were all wondering whether or not it was going taking place, there is a Department of Justice investigation parallel to the January 6th committee investigation into January 6th, and they're looking at talking to people, top Trump aides in the Trump White House. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is always where this was heading. Uh, I mean, you know, January 6th has made the entire investigation about President Trump. I mean, he is at the center of their probe. I mean, he's mentioned in every other word during these hearings. And so uh, I always think that's where this was heading. That you know, the DOJ and the January 6th committee are sort of marching in the same direction. They want to hold everyone accountable uh, who broke the law in the run-up to January 6th and on the day of the attack. And so, uh, you know, I don't think we should be too surprised, but uh, Merrick Garland said in an interview with our own NBC's Lester Holt earlier this week that they will, DOJ will prosecute anyone that they find criminally responsible for interfering with the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to another. And, and Lester had specifically asked if they were looking at Donald Trump when Merrick Garland answered that question. And so mm -hmm. uh, he's certainly not ruling out prosecution of Donald Trump or anyone in his immediate orbit. And I think what you're seeing right now is sort of this this handing off. You know, if you think of it like a like a baton relay race, it's the baton being handed off from the January 6th uh, investigators to DOJ. And in fact, they have set up this now formal process, uh, you know, where they are sharing information with DOJ when DOJ requests certain evidence, when they request certain uh, transcripts from depositions. And so there is a, there is a, uh, a cooperation and a coordination between these two entities. So, uh, Sudeep, uh, they've talked to Justice now. We know they've talked to Mark Short, uh, uh, Pence's chief of staff, Greg Jacob, his chief counsel. They've talked to Cassidy Hutchinson, Mark Meadows' top aide. She's cooperating with them. Um, I mean, clearly, they haven't yet announced that Donald Trump is a target, but we can assume that, can't we? 
we can assume that has been the case all along. They've been uh, narrowing and triangulating their focus all, all to get to the central question of, of what he did and what people around him did in the, in those moments. Uh, I think it's it's kind of becoming obvious. We didn't we didn't need every piece of this to to put it together, but the evidence being out there, the evidence of uh, the video uh, outtakes, the, each piece of this just kind of shows what his true mindset was in that moment. And you don't need uh, scenes of, of ketchup dripping off the walls to, to see that, but but they have definitely provided some viv- vivid scenes that uh, if they don't sway the DOJ, I think they will sway uh, a, a number of, of uh, Republican um, uh, voters in the next couple of years. And Sudeep, do we have... Um... Any idea, have you or reporters cover any idea of what the timing of Merrick Garland's investigation is and when they might, if they do, if they do file charges, when that might happen? You know, that is the big question that everybody is asking uh, everywhere in Washington is what that 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 timeline looks like. And of course, Donald Trump's own people are trying to figure that out to see if <laughs> right. they need to announce ahead of that to try to, to stymie uh to bring a political wrinkle into into any kind of investigation by having him actually become a candidate uh, sooner uh, sooner than the midterms. Uh, how about you, Scott or Matt? Have you uh, anything to add on the timing question? No, I I would just add that our our own Pete Williams, who is you know one of the best uh, justice reporters in town, and and who sadly is, is uh, retiring, who sadly is retiring this weekend, yeah, this week, and and we toasted uh, Pete earlier this week. Um, he has he has made clear to uh, in his reporting and also you know in 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 talking to reporters that you know DOJ is is not saying that Trump is the target. Okay, they, they're being very cautious and careful and proceeding, uh, you know, very deliberately, uh, they're saying that they have asked questions about President Trump to the people that they're bringing in uh, and interviewing, but and, and putting before a grand jury, but they have not said explicitly that Donald Trump is the target. So I just want to be absolutely clear about that. We have not mm-hmm. heard the timing. But again, you know, justice is going to move slower than the January 6th committee. We always knew that, uh, you know, it, it does feel like the January 6th committee is leaving little breadcrumbs for the Justice Department. <laughs> and um, certainly they have been very adept at, at not only holding these public hearings and being able to compel and, and convince certain people to come forward and testify, but also using social media and putting some of the stuff that they weren't able to use in these hearings posting it on Twitter in these videos where we're still learning sort of each and every day new information about uh, that whole plot to overturn the election. Right. So meanwhile, uh, Matt, the former president uh, did what he loves doing best. He went out and played a round of golf yesterday, which might not have made much news, uh, except that this was the first day of the live golf tournament at the Bedminster Golf Course, which, of course, is sponsored by Saudi Arabia. It has split the golf world, and it has really uh, angered uh, the 9-11 families um, because of the Saudi support and Donald Trump standing with them. And Donald Trump used the moment to tell a reporter he doesn't know what all the fuss is about. Here is Donald Trump's, uh, um, again, insensitive comment. 
Well, nobody's gotten to the bottom of 9-11, unfortunately, and they should have. Matt, nobody's gotten to the bottom of 9-11? <laughs> you were president for four years. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know what to say about this. Like, if he, wa- if, if he was confused about who was behind 9-11 and wanted to look into it, presumably that is information he could have gotten and released to the public. But, I mean... He's a conspiracy theorist. He's always been a conspiracy theorist. He's been a conspiracy theorist around 9-11. He's been a conspiracy theorist around Barack Obama's birth certificate. Like, this is just who he is. He's also on record saying that it was Saudi Arabia in 2016. He is actually, uh, while yeah. campaigning, has still directly said this, of course, on Fox News, uh, saying, saying, look at Saudi Arabia, open the documents, uh, and... And here he he is now, obviously for the sake of money, uh, to take in as much money as possible. He is uh, conveniently ignoring what he said before. Right. We also we all know that fifteen out of nineteen of the terrorists of nine eleven were Saudi uh, natives. Uh, but, but Scott, I, I was just going to point out, and Sudeep got to, to to put the hit the nail on the head. Right. This is all about Trump making money. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And throughout his presidency, we saw uh, how, you know, the public office was intertwined with, um, you know, his his money making uh, efforts. I mean, he had the literally I mean, the Trump International Hotel was yeah. two blocks from the White House. Uh, and it's my understanding they sold like $25 cocktails there, but every Republican lobbyist and every Republican lawmaker at the end of the day would end up uh, at the Trump hotel, um, you know, where they would spend money. And, and uh, we have seen uh, candidates, you know, holding fundraisers at various Trump properties, which also funnels money to the Trump family and, and the Trump business. And so uh, this is, has been a, a long standing practice. I mean, a lot of, yeah. So there's been a lot of criticism about uh, Trump's businesses and and how Republicans sort of propped up those businesses throughout his presidency. Absolutely. It was all a money-making scheme, it it appears, but before, during, and after the presidency, and that continues at Bedminster uh, and at Mar-a-Lago. Well, on the political front, um, Sadiq, Andrew Yang, who has never quite gone away, uh, who, of course, ran for president in 2020 in the Democratic primary. Uh, he's given up on the Democratic Party. He joined Christine Todd Whitman this week to say, we need a third party in, in America, and we're going to form it. It's going to be called the Forward Party. Um, should we take this seriously? You know, I, there's always a soft spot, spot in my heart for, for third parties and for parliamentary <laughs> proposals. Maybe I've seen too many Netflix dramas from other countries. Uh, we, we should not take this seriously. But the, there is a, a, a truth, a, a truth at the center of this. Uh, and what this the, the group that they're, they're forming is, is saying is that uh, they're calling it their party, calling it forward. Uh, they're saying that uh, people across America generally agree on some of the core issues around guns and climate change and abortion, and we should we should find a, an approach to it that is based on where our agreement is, rather than uh, the the fringes of of uh, where the the Republicans are trying to push uh, on on some of these issues. And so that is obviously true, but you're not going to form another party that's successful um, in, in this moment. Uh, maybe something eventually will form out of the Republican Party for what comes next, but 
uh, this isn't going to be it. Even Ross Perot, with all of his money, was not able to get on the ballot in all 50 states. Now, he got 17% of the vote, which is uh, which which actually elected Bill Clinton president, exactly. probably. Right, right, exactly. So that, that, uh, that is exactly what could happen uh, in an interesting way again. Right. Uh, and one other thing I want to touch on before we wrap here, on the media front, um, Matt Gates, uh, should we... I'm sorry, Matt Gertz. Oh, oh my God. Oh, I did it. Oh, oh never oh, heard oh, that man. before. <laughs> I'm sure that's never happened before, Matt. I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it has in, a, in an interview. <laughs> so uh, what's going on with One America Network? On my podcast this week, I interviewed Bobby Lewis from Media Matters about OAN. Um, they basically are going to die uh, a quiet death this weekend, aren't they? Yeah, I, uh, that is correct. I mean, Verizon is dropping the network at the end of this week, and their cable TV audience is going to shrink to basically nothing. Um, you know, this it, it's already been dropped by AT&T's DirecTV, um, which had about 15 million subscribers as well. And so their, their audience is, is going to shrink down to... Uh, you know, basically uh, Bobby, probably, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, n- no great loss. This is a, a network that not only uh, promoted the sort of worst and craziest aspects of the uh, Trump election denial uh, conspiracy theories, um, but a host of other uh, conspiracy theories and rank bigotry. And so uh, their removal from the airwaves uh, I think will not uh, be missed. Uh, so, Scott, that's one one less thing NBC has to worry about in terms of competition. Right? <laughs> OAN, they're gone. Uh, I guess we're happy with with less competition. <laughs> uh, no, I, I like I like competition. Maybe not from OAN, but I like right. more more voices out there. Uh, is it, it is funny that um, Donald Trump has named uh, OAN his favorite. TV network, <laughs> uh, understandably why. Uh, but but Sadiq, uh, this does also show right that Fox News, after Rupert Mur- and and Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal and New York Post, are clearly turning away from Donald Trump. They are they are certainly in in this moment. Obviously, a lot can can change later if uh, uh, if if forces forces change uh, in this way but um, I, I think Rupert Murdoch is recognizing that this is not going to be useful and productive and he's obviously directing uh, the his his his, uh, his mouthpieces through editorial pages to to indicate that and to, to move try to move the establishment uh, away from Trump as much as possible but uh, as we've seen over and over again that's that didn't happen in uh, in 2016, it's not happening. Been happening for the last two years, and it's going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not. It's not editorial pages that are going to uh, drive right. uh, drive decision making here. Obviously, Matt is Fox now the uh, DeSantis network. Uh, I think this is a little bit overstated. I mean, uh-huh. we we had uh, editorials from the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal uh, going after Trump on the January 6th committee. Uh, late last week, and this got everybody talking about how Murdoch had turned on Trump. Uh, but if you watch Fox News's primetime coverage, which is what far more Republicans are actually attuned to, uh, they are still very much on board, and they uh, do not think that 
the January 6th committee has revealed anything of interest. They think that uh, the uh, Garland, uh, the the Department of Justice uh, reports indicate that we are now what Tucker Carlson called an authoritarian regime where your opponents go to jail, your supporters can do whatever they want. And this reveals that the state exists not to serve the people who live in it, but to preserve itself and crush all dissent. Uh, They are very much making the case that an attack on Trump is an attack on their viewers. Uh, This is not really a Mm -hmm. network that has given up uh, on Donald Trump. So uh, we're not, we should not be singing hosannas to Fox News uh, uh, necessarily. Okay, great wrap up of a very, very busy week here in Washington. Uh, and as always, we ask you at the end of the program, uh, in all the things you were covering or were not covering, uh, and all the things you were following in the news, something caught your attention and stopped you in your tracks for long enough to laugh or weep about it. Um, we call it our favorite story of the week. Sudeep, start us off. What the, Caught your attention. In this moment, in this debate about whether to pass legislation uh, enshrining same-sex marriage, uh, there was a a, a congressman from Pennsylvania, Glenn Thompson, uh, who went to the wedding of his gay son Uh. (laughs) and uh, did this just three days after voting against same-sex marriage. And so uh, I, I, I saw that story and had to read a couple of the stories to see if anyone captured just how awkward uh, this must have been. Uh, for his his son and his family to have the father there in that moment. And how did he explain it? Or did he even attempt to? He, he uh, and his his staff solely tried to explain it by uh, by calling this uh, a messaging stunt, this legislation a messaging stunt by Democrats in Congress, which is obviously the Republican line in this moment. But uh, man, what a what an awkward Thanksgiving dinner table conversation this is going to be uh, when they get back together. Yeah, it's too bad he he didn't stand up really for his son the way Rob Portman did. I must uh, say, Senator Rob, Rob Portman. Exactly, Rob Portman is is leading the way and has been for for uh, for a while on this. Yeah, uh, Matt Gertz, your favorite story of the week. Well, as regular listeners know, I always <laughs> use this to talk about my favorite media conspiracy theory, which is uh-huh. that the real estate sections of the New York <laughs> Times and the Wall Street Journal uh, have been infiltrated by the Democratic Socialists of America, who are using that platform to report on the uh, depravities of America's wealthy in order to bring about the revolution. Uh, And so to that, uh, I give you comrade Catherine Clark's uh, great story yesterday (laughs) in the Wall Street Journal about uh, The One, a Bel Air mega mansion has five pools uh, that was uh, going to be uh, listed for $500 million. And after a series of travails uh, involving its developer, Niall Niami, uh, it ended up being auctioned for a mere $126 million uh, and leaving uh, Niami deeply in debt. Uh, it's a uh, fascinating <laughs> story. I encourage you all to read it. And thank you, Comrade Clark, for your service. <laughs> God, if I had only known there was such a property on the market. For $126 million. <laughs> Snapped it right up. Snapped it right up. Uh, so, Scott, uh, and it's up to you to wrap this up here. Uh, what caught your attention? Well, Bill, I will end where we sort of started with uh, Pelosi in Taiwan. I, I'll give you a little behind-the-scenes story with Rick Larson, the congressman from Washington State, 
I was randomly asking if he had heard anything about this Taiwan trip and he, his eyes lit up <laughs> and he said, well, in fact, I, I have, he said, I, I got a call uh, to my office uh, earlier from the Chinese embassy. They were Ooh. demanding that I tell Nancy Pelosi she cannot go to Taiwan. And then uh, Mr. Larson said he had a meeting set up with the consul general based in San Francisco up in his district in Seattle from China. And during that meeting, the uh, Chinese official, the consul general, told him that he had to relay the message to Speaker Pelosi that she cannot go to Taiwan. And his response was, hey, look, look, man, like nobody tells the speaker what to do. Nobody tells, she does whatever she wants. <laughs> and so, <laughs> That's, so wow. I mean, it just, it just really goes to show that the Whoa. Chinese are fired up over this trip and they are using any channel and any avenue to make sure that message is sent to, to Washington and the people uh, who represent our government. Uh, that's a fascinating story, going to every member of Congress, basically, I'm sure is what they did, particularly members of the uh, California, I mean, the Democratic uh, caucus, of course, yeah, to put pressure uh, on Pelosi. Well, I my favorite story week, I am so intrigued by um, the Senate race in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't, sometimes I think we've lost the fun side of politics. And you must admit that this race in Pennsylvania is hilarious with Mehmet Oz trying to um, uh, pretend that he's a resident of Pennsylvania after he's been a longtime resident of New Jersey. And John Fetterman is calling on all the uh, New Jersey celebrities to remind us that Mehmet Oz is really from New Jersey, not from Pennsylvania. Last week, uh, we played a clip of Snooki Lavalle from Jersey Shore. Uh, poking fun at um, Mehmet Oz for his New Jersey roots. This week, uh, John Fetterman brought out Stevie Van Zant uh, from The Sopranos, of course. And here's his little tweak at Mehmet Oz. Oh, Dr. Oz, what are you doing in Pennsylvania? Everybody knows you live in New Jersey and you're just using your in-laws address over there. <laughs> Nobody wants to see you get embarrassed. So come on back to Jersey where you belong and uh, we'll have some fun. <laughs> uh, I, and also, we re it was revealed this week that uh, Mehmet Oz has a uh, condo in New Jersey that he has been keeping a secret, uh, and somebody found out about that this week and reported on it. So uh, I, I don't know who's next. Um, maybe Bruce Springsteen will be up next week poking fun at Mehmet Oz. Uh, I think Frank Sinatra is unavailable, but uh, you know that this trend is going to uh, continue. I just think it's... Uh, it's, it's fun to watch and uh, a funny side of politics that, that we can all enjoy. And with that, a great big thank you to today's panel, Scott Wong, Senior Congressional Correspondent, NBC News, Matt Gertz, Senior Fellow at Media Matters for America, Sudeep Reddy, Senior Managing Editor for Politico. Great job, guys, and great to have you back. We'll talk again soon. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. And we invite you, first of all, have a great weekend. Uh, we invite you to come back on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, where we'll be talking to the policy director for Planned Parenthood for America about all the serious challenges and hardships that American women are facing in this new post-Roe world in the United States of America. 
That's Tuesday. So come back for that. Take care. Have a good weekend. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.